1: Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, emergency management, COVID 19, crisis management, disaster planning, anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of which, if there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show or you'd like to be a guest, please go to the Voice America page for the show. Underneath the graphic, there is a button. Uh, that says, uh, send the host an email or something uh, to those uh, words. And uh, you can send me uh, you know your ideas or a request to be on the show. I do respond to all emails I get. If there is a product or service you'd like to promote on the, the show as well or uh, advertise, same way, you can reach me the same way and I can get some information to you. A reminder to everyone, I am presenting at the BCI World Conference this year. It's all virtual, and I am speaking on November 5th. Uh, I cannot remember uh, the time right now, um, but I will be speaking on November 5th. So hopefully everyone who's uh, joined the conference can listen in on my uh, presentation that day. I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road and their product, boastassessment.com, that allows you to track the progress of your business continuity programs how well you're doing in the risk analysis and the BIAs and uh, your plan updates, and you can use it over and over again and track uh, your progress and uh, be able to align your resources accordingly. And a final announcement, I'd like to thank everybody at Solutions Review. On uh, September 23rd, my book, Testing Disaster Recovery and Business Continuity Plans, was selected to be on their list of 16 most essential books for Business Continuity Directors. So thank you, everyone, at Solutions Review. That was a big surprise to me, and congratulations to all the other authors on that list as well. Now, today's show, as you know, I love to read all kinds of things uh, for entertainment purposes, you know, and to learn new things, new ideas. And today, I have uh, the author of the book, Business Continuity Planning, the Art of Remaining Continuous, Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Jeff, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reading the book as well.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah, I do read all the books. That, you know, I know I tell everyone, you know, I've got an author on the show, but I really do read the books, <laughs> in case anyone <laughs> doubts. <laughs> uh Jeff, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and uh, you know, your experiences, and how you got into the industry?
2: Well, I have a long and circuitous road into the industry. I uh, I owned a man service provider for a lot of years, and then I left there and went to work for an electric utility, and one of my assignments was to stand up a business continuity program. Now, we're not going to address why a utility had not been addressed that yet by the (laughs) several years ago, but, you know, we won't go there. But that got me thrown into the fire. And so I did a lot of research with NIST and FEMA. And my background is all around, you know, the way I approach it is from the NIST and FEMA perspective. And so I've been building out, I'm, I'm a service management and business continuity person. And I in January, I left KPMG, started my own firm, and building business continuity programs, helping uh, companies with the strategic thought all the way through the tactical testing, training, plan development, and so long circuitous road of getting from here to there. But it's been it's been fun. I've enjoyed I enjoy business continuity just because it's a holistic look within a business.
1: Yeah, me, me too. You know, I, I learned so much more about uh, organizations and different people that it gives me opportunities that I, I think, you know, just doing other roles might not provide. Yes. Now, let, let's let jump straight into your book. Uh, you It's Business Continuity Planning, The Art of Remaining Continuous. Why do you call it an art form?
2: because I don't think there's a set formula. My wife's a math teacher, and so she sees everything as science. There is no science or math calculation to help uh, one company be continuous. And and let's just talk about being continuous. You know, how do we... We know that events are going to happen. We know business variables are going to change, even within an organization, COVID's shown us that. And so... We have to remain continuous. The whole, the whole reason we have business continuity is to keep the core business functions continuous. And so the reason I think it's an art is you can have two companies within the same industry that their leadership has different risk appetites. They could have different business variables, like in different markets or, you know, stressing different products within their banking industry. And so their banking, uh, their business continuity plans would look very different. And so that's why I call it an art. Because, I, you know, when, and I use this illustration in the book, every artist has access to the same paints, paintbrushes, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. it's the good artists that know how to use them. And I think the same in the business continuity world. And I, I welcome your feedback on that. But I think everybody has the same access, the same tools. But some do it better than others.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, you know, I, I tend to use, uh, you use art and paint. I tend to use musicians. You know, uh, I have a synthesizer at home and there's no way I play like Mozart. You know, <laughs> but yet we both have a key, had a keyboard in front of us. Right. You know? So, uh, you you called your book business continuity planning, and a lot of people tend to um, equate that to resilience, and mm-hmm. they're not always well. I don't think they are the same at all. What's your opinion on that? What do you see the difference between the two business continuity planning, resilience, you know, versus uh, you know other terminology that might be out there?
2: Well, since I come from the electric utility and mist. Missed- and FEMA background, I see resi- resilience, and I don't want to put words in their mouth. It's just my interpretation, but I see resilience as how do we respond within, an, you know, when an incident happens? How do we remain continuous when it happens? And then how do we recover? Having that uh, triangle, if you will, is resilience, where the continuity is just one piece of that.
1: So. If for if resilience, um, sorry, continuity is just one piece of resilience. What do you see the full resilience as being, and where do you along that spectrum? Where do you see cont- continuity fitting in?
2: You mean within an organization?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: All right. So I think resilience should be. So uh, one of the one of my uh, soapboxes is I don't think continuity should be in info security as much as it is just because, and it's okay on places that is because it gets funding that way and worry about data breaches. But I see those as a business as high up in the org chart and as close to the operational side as possible because they have to be able to see and understand what does our business need To respond to remain continuous and how do we recover? And so they both need to be outside of IT and as close to leadership as possible for funding or to be able to respond. Even if it's just personnel resources, we we don't want to give our leftovers to that to this group and then say why didn't you help us when we had an event? Mm
1: -hmm. So now you got me thinking Um, a, a lot of. Uh, people that have even been on the show and other books when they talk about business continuity planning they include technology and IT mm-hmm. are you suggesting that you know business continuity planning uh, should not or you know to a lesser degree include IT
2: so i see business continuity planning i think very different than others and i welcome feedback but i think the discourse is where we all learn but i mm-hmm. see business continuity planning as including people technology and then location. Technology includes data and info security. And so I see it as as one of those legs of that chair where and let's let's use COVID for example under my three legged legged chair. At first people thought it was a people pandemic, we gotta worry about our people, but soon it changed and we started looking at it like a location. Companies are using uh, are looking at COVID or responding to COVID the same way they would have responded if their building in downtown area became un- became unusable? If that makes sense, because they had to worry about how do we how do we get these people up? How do we help them do their jobs? Remain continuous from from a central location to now a distributed one.
1: No, not that makes sense. Uh, you know, I, my last client. um, You know, when COVID was first coming out in, you know, January, February, and March, when we were really getting to know about it, you know, it was being run by HR people, you know, it's a people process. And Mm -hmm. then as things progressed, you saw it kind of start morphing, you know, Mm -hmm. into, oh, all of a sudden our supply chain is involved and all of a sudden, you know, technology has got to be involved. Security gets more involved. Right.
2: And so you want to all three of those areas to help you become and remain continuous. In my view,
1: yeah, yeah, I I, I tend to use uh, people, places, and things. Okay. But I, I that's how I say it, but it's the exact same thing that you're saying. So, you know, am I'm, I'm glad to hear that that you know, I'm not, not too far off the base. <laughs> and, yeah, and
2: I will tell you why I look at it this way. And and like I said, I'm open for discourse. But mm-hmm. this means that I don't have to brainstorm and think about every possible scenario. It allows me to compartmentalize if I'm in a bank, I'm just using that for example, and I'm building up business continuity plan for their retail function, you know, the, the retail banks. I look at under those three things. I don't really have to now look at it and try to think of all the different scenarios that underpin those. I can just look at them in those broad strokes and plan accordingly. Because if you lose your location because of COVID or your building lost power for the day, it really doesn't matter. You still have to worry about how do I remain continuous? Without that physical location
1: well what what are your opinions on on people that do you know and organizations that do focus so much on scenarios you know let let's face it you know I, I remember when I started back in uh, mid nineties I guess it was that you know that you had to have a plan for a flood you had to have a plan for a fire you had to have a plan for you know everything under the sun you know what what are your thoughts with those that still think in that that manner
2: um I think it's okay. I don't want to criticize anyone, and I've seen a lot of risk assessments that use those because they're trying to understand what are their biggest potential events and riskiest events. I would just mm-hmm. encourage the thought of grouping them because let me give you an example. When I've I've seen where in a data center they didn't have a fire that took it down. Somebody was doing halo test, halon testing. You know the mm-hmm. stuff that comes out. It's not water but the, the chemicals that come out that suppress in the data center, there's no way you would have had that on your choices of what to prepare for because now in this complex world, it's just more and more difficult. And lastly, and this goes for all three of those areas, uh, the people, the technology, and the location, all of them are in most organizations are being uh, subbed out to different service providers. And so I want to make sure my business continuity plans include those service providers, those vendors, those partners. And that adds another comp- level of complexity, which makes it difficult for me to try to uh, guess which one will it be this time.
1: And, and I guess, you know, if, if you do focus on nothing but scenarios, you it, it would be kind of hard to maintain all those plans when using the approach that you just described, the one you use. I guess that would also be easier to um, maintain. Yes, Yeah. You know?
2: And, and I, I'm a, I won't say I think it's, I think the values and the execution, but you have to have a plan that you can articulate well, and the leadership of a particular organization, they can understand it well. And uh, you know, resources are tight. Most organizations struggle in the business continuity area to get resources funding personnel and so i would i would focus on a simple and uh straightforward way so i can get as you know I can, I can get everything funded the way i needed to
1: yeah I, I i agree with you because i think further the further you get down the road if you've made it really complex with all these you know dozens of plans then trying to train awareness the the maintenance like i said would become tough, and like mm-hmm. you said, you struggle for resources. Well, in many places, business continuity. I'm assuming what you were saying. You know, people are uh, part time at business continuity. How are you going to mm-hmm. keep that moving forward?
2: Right, and so it's easier to go to. I'm going to use this retail banking example to have mm-hmm. their their business continuity plan address those three areas in different time frames. And then how do you – so, for example, how are you continuous if it's a short time frame and you don't have technology? That's, an, that's a more simple problem to solve than you don't have this or you don't have that or you don't have this other. So yeah. I try to make it as consumable as possible.
1: And, and I, I think for lay people you know, that don't understand BCM or DR or whatever, um, it's easier for them to wrap their head around too.
2: Mm -hmm. I found that, but I I still welcome the discourse. If somebody thinks I'm wrong, you know, I I welcome that that conversation. And that's also why I like the bigger picture view versus the uh, IT-centric or information Mm -hmm. security-centric view. Because if we're talking a bank, let's take the largest bank in the world, whatever it is, You know, it's not going to worry about – it's going to be worried about everything, not just the data breaches. It's going to worry about the regulatory. It's going to be – you know, it's going to be worried about so much more than just technology, especially now with COVID. COVID COVID's changed all the variables for everyone, I think, for their business continuity plan.
1: It's true. You know, it's a whole new playing field you know and i know as we get further on down we're we're going to talk about that you know your feelings on how things are going to change so you know but we've come to the end of our first segment we are talking with jeffrey t Fertiller, tiller the author of business continuity planning the art of remaining continuous and we'll be right back
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker.
1: If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn.
0: You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected.
1: Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with industry expert and author Jeffrey Tiefertiller and his book, Business Continuity Planning, The Art of Remaining Continuous. Jeffrey, great uh, information in our first segment there. Um, as we chat uh, now, I want to ask you something um, uh, about the BIA. In your opinion, is the BIA still important? And if so, and why? And you know, what should organizations uh, think about when it comes to the BIA?
2: So I'm not married to the formalized BIA process because I I see it as you know, there's a line between bureaucracy and efficiency. And I want to walk that line, right?
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: I see the BIA function. Why do we need this? And I see it as to help us identify our core business processes. You could call them services. But what do we need to remain continuous? And then what areas within the organization support these core business processes or services? And how do we help them remain continuous? A minute ago I mentioned uh, vendors and service providers and those are included so whether it's a formalized bia or some other method i like looking at it in terms of identification of how, what do we need to remain you know for our business to remain continuous what where should we put our resources to fortify this area so it could be a bia or it could be something in a different direction or more informal
1: so you are not um i don't want to hold hold it you know hold you to this but um you're not someone who says a bia has to be done a specific way you can you know get the information you want in different other uh, in a different manner yes
2: and the fun the fun activity, and I'm sure you have been there along with many of your other experts, is you sit down and you interview different leaders within an organization and you ask, what needs to remain continuous? And you get all these different answers. And now you have to coalesce them and have these conversations with them and say, okay, we probably can't do all of this unless you want to you know, up the, the resources, so let's talk about Which ones do we really need to remain continuous?
1: It's interesting. You you said leaders. And um, I'm kind of under the impression, not uh, not impression, but I tend to think that if I go to leaders and say, hey, what what do you think is important to the organization as the organizational leader, that's going to give me my priorities.
2: Right. But some say call center. Some think, oh, no, it can't be the call center. Some think mm-hmm. it has to be a payroll or accounts payable because what happens to an event? Some say, oh, no, that's way down the list. And so, you know, I've had those discussions and, uh, you know, it, it all comes down to resources and prioritization, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I I, I I like the examples you just gave. I was in a situation years ago where, um, I was talking with, uh, the sales group and the sales group were looking at things through, through, um, obviously sales, but also their commissions. So to them, mm-hmm. a sale was a priority, but yet in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things, you know, it didn't have an, an impact on what the actual company did, you know, obviously sale from sale wise, it did, but you know, from, but their actual function, if a sale was moved out by a couple of weeks, It didn't touch anything. (laughs) So you can end up with everybody saying they're important.
2: (laughs) Oh, yes, And and to use your example of sales, then they worry about their CRM. We have to have that tool that helps us understand who we need to call next. But the the most interesting one I had, and I use this as an example for the listeners, is somebody said, we need Treasury to be involved because we need some short-term access to capital. Mm-hmm. To me, that was an interesting perspective.
1: So, what are your thoughts on the risk assessment? Are you as flexible on that one as well?
2: I am, as long as it helps us understand what our, uh, what our high level, you know, what are our riskiest and most potentially impactful events. You know, it's funny because I go back and look at the, you know, COVID's given us a lot of uh, perspective to go back and look at things and I don't know anyone that had pandemic as high, you know listed on the risk mm-hmm. assessments. But now we go back and you know what were we thinking? that seems obvious. And uh, you know it's just one of those that I live in the midwest of the US. We worry about tornadoes. Everybody's worried about tornadoes here where mm-hmm. other places it may be something else. and that's why I think the risk assessment, if it is done, it probably should not be done in mass for a large geographical area, because if you take the U.S. or Canada, the the event, the possible event in one part of the country is much different than the ones in the other parts of the country, and so we have yes. to make sure that they are uh, sensitive and understanding of those other potential events.
1: So I now I have to ask the question. I know we were going to talk about it later, but you mentioned COVID and we, we seem to be Sorry. touching on on there twice now. So how do you see the industry, the business continuity industry, um emergency management, anything changing in the coming years as a result of COVID nineteen? Or any change at oh, all? Oh
2: this is a this is a loaded question and I love it. It's uh <laughs> Well, the reason I say that is we have short memories. You know, we have very short memories. So I think in the short term, everybody's going to say it's important because it's gone, and I apologize for getting us ahead, but it's gotten to the point. So when everybody had to vacate large offices and now work from home, it's impacted everything from even VPN licensing for your technology so your software asset management can be in place. I had one client that had everybody's desktops. Now they're scrambling for laptops, but that's also going to mess up their technology licensing. So there's all this cascading and trickle-down of impact as we – and I don't think that we've been to where it's going to solidify out, but I'm interested to see because it's changed our perspective. If nothing else, it's given us a new paradigm of, hey, the things that we assumed before, we cannot assume now. Whatever they are, I think we have to start fresh with assumptions. I welcome your your response to that. But I mean from people aspect, how many and where do we need them? Technology, because the technology needs have changed and obviously, location.
1: No, I, I agree with you. Um, there, you know, I, I think all of that's going to change, you know, even right down to, uh, things like property management, facility management, because I've already heard some stories here, Toronto, which is an hour and a half down the road from me. Some of the towers, um, some of the tenants have already told their people that they're going to be working at home for the next six, seven months. And they're probably going to reduce the size of their offices now, you know, which is going to open up floor places, you know, floor plans, change business for, you know, property management companies. You know, it, so it, it's got a very far, COVID-19 has a very far-reaching effect.
2: Yes, and I would even say in the U.S., there's the example of Pinterest giving their property management company ninety mil to walk away, $90 million to walk away from their lease. But it creates new problems, right? Because you have new security, info security problems. You have new even access problems. You know, badge and all that fun stuff, even like HR onboarding, things of that nature, it's all changed. And i that's why whenever you ask about business impact analysis and risk assessment, I'm very flexible because I want to assume nothing because I don't want to assume everything has changed. And we have to see it through fresh eyes.
1: I, I, I think so. You know, you, you've said you've been in the industry a long time you know, before Y2K and before 9-11, you know, the, the joke was, you know, what are you going to do if a plane flies into your building? And, you know, right. that's obviously not a joke anymore. You know, it's taken seriously, you know, for, for yeah. that terrible event. You know, and now we've got uh, COVID-19 who's changing us again. You know, we have to mm-hmm. rethink our assumptions and rethink uh, our, our plans and, you know, the direction we need to go and the scale that we need to think about.
2: Yes, and and the reason I said we have short memories is going into twenty twenty one budget season for most large companies is starting right about now, and it may we may see a small uptick in business continuity or resilience funding, but I think a year from now it'll go back down because we're sadly I think I see us as, as a knee jerk uh, type of society, not one that learns from our mistakes.
1: Well, I was going to ask you about that. You know, do you do you think the um, business continuity industry will grow or it's more, uh, I don't want to say flash in the pan, but more of a, um, uh, a trend at the moment for everybody, which will end up in the same place it was before, you know, put on the back burner in many instances?
2: Sadly, and I'm an optimist. I'm like the most peppy guy out there. But I think... <laughs> I think we'll go back to where we were. I talked to two very senior leaders at large companies recently, and each said, We're good with our business continuity plans. They made it, they helped us get to where we are. And which tells me we're not going to invest more. We're not even going to do things differently, which I think is a missed opportunity. I won't even say mistake, I'll say it's a missed opportunity because they're, they're, uh, Business customers are going to see their competitors do things differently. And so these, these large companies have to adjust. They have to, even if it's seeing their customers, let's take the banking example. Now most banks are pushing to have their customers do as much drive-through on the banking app, call in, you know, less walk up. You have to be able to adjust. Because if you can't adjust, and your and your competitors are adjusting to be more in line with their customers, then you're probably it's not going to end well.
1: And and adjusting your plans and on what you do means you have to adjust your uh, you know your contingency plans as well, because you're no exactly. longer doing what you were doing. The only thing that maybe yeah. these two individuals that you were speaking to the only thing that uh, they've realized is what they what they had addressed the situation as it is now, but it may not address what's going to happen in six months.
2: Exactly. And I want to give two examples. One is the reliance on a service provider who may or may not have good or bad or poor business continuity plans. And I only bring that up because If you are doing business with a service provider, a utility, a anything, and you're of a sizeable where you can ask this organization, you need to ask for their business continuity plans and how long they're when they've been tested and all that fun stuff. But when you look at my three-legged stool of people, technology, and location, it gets really difficult if you have two of those events happen at the same time. So now we we have COVID and we have this dispersed. Uh, people, they're distributed now, and in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., where all the fires are, or in the south where the hurricanes are, now you really have a big issue because you sent everybody home, and now they may not have homes.
1: hmm So or, or now, you know, Yeah. You Yeah. And COVID-19, you know, it, using that example, kind of impacted them all. Exactly. education, people, and, yeah. you know, technology capability.
2: Exactly. And so I, I, I'm I, a person that tells stories just because I think it helps us understand. One one company I was working with, they had a call center, and their their call center business continuity plan was if the weather's too bad or we lose power at work, we'll send everybody home. And I was like, it took me a second, I said, wait a minute. How can you assume that your employees have power where they live? Because you can't. Yep. You need yep. to figure out someplace how to be redundant, either where you are or find some way to, you know, rent a hotel banquet room on retainer. So there's something, you know, to, to enable you to have continuity. Because if you're in an event, your call center is going to get blown up no matter what type of industry you're in.
1: Exactly and and you're going to have a backlog because you know it, even if you are able to send people home well they need the time to get there <laughs> mm-hmm. so you you yeah. you've lost you know let's say an hour or two depending on where it is and commutes and things like that you know you end up with a bigger backlog and now you've got a different issue to deal with especially if you have service level agreements involved
2: Right it just gets complex and I don't think yeah. you know this covid must send everybody home I think that sounds great in the short term I don't think it's uh, as long-term viable as an idea as, as many people are making it right now.
1: Well, that leads two- me to a que- that leads me to a question: Do you think the business continuity awareness has increased, at least?
2: Yes, because it's a buzzword. And really? this, to one of your questions earlier, I think it's falsely lumped in with resilience. Where you know if we walk through that resilience is how did we respond to COVID, and and continuity is you know how do we remain continuous through it, and then you know there will be some type of recovery because the whole business you know think about all the technology debt that's created now because we were doing business one way and now we switched you know directions and now we're doing it a different way we're going
1: to have a lot of technical debt to recover from. On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. Today we are talking with expert and author Jeffrey Tiefertiller and his book, Business Continuity Planning, The Art of Remaining Continuous. And we'll be right back.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you
0: ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected.
1: Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with expert and author Jeffrey Tiefertiller and his book, Business Continuity Planning, The Art of Remaining Continuous. Jeffrey, another great uh, segment there with lots of good ideas. I, w- I want to ask you now that um, at the end of the second segment, we were talking. Now that people are working differently, you know, we're, we're most most of us are working at home, at least some part during the week. Now, how do you see um, organizations, you know, testing and and training in business continuity? How do you see that changing and developing?
2: Well, first of all, there's going to be less in-person. if People can't gather in person unless it's done virtually, and I see more done uh, through a learning management system. But I would, I'm going back to a previous point, I would make sure that when I train and also when I test that I included my vendors and service providers because if I'm relying upon them to remain continuous, whether it's an outsourced call center Outsource part of IT, maybe even outsource part of my location from a facilities point of view. I need to make sure they're included. But to your question, I would, it's got to change because there were a lot of lunch and learn type of training, you know, people put posters up in the office, things of that nature. I, so I have a different view of training and I, I don't mean this as any, uh, uh, negative towards anyone else, I see training for all types as persona-driven. And so we have to understand who are the consumers of our training and then build training specific for each of those consumers. Now, it could look alike, but we have to pitch training differently to the CEO than we do the, the facilities person who's making sure that the lights are
1: on. Yeah, you know, that. The, the decision maker, you know, the president, that may be just all they're doing is making some key decisions and maybe talking with the media. They're not rebuilding a mainframe. No. So you've got to give them different materials and the person building the mainframe, you know, why teach them, you know, how to speak in public in front of uh, the media.
2: And you brought up something. One thing that I think is key to every business continuity plan, and I don't think there's very many that are key. There, very many things that are key to everything. And that is have a designated person that that pulls the trigger and implements your continuity plans, as well as and they have criteria to do so. As pulls that back. And lastly, you mentioned speaking to the media. There has to be a designated person doing that. You do not want any. Off the record comments, people on social media like it is today, or filming, or things of that nature. It's a whole new world than even today, than when I or you got into business continuity from that regard.
1: Yeah, yeah. Any suggestions on how you convey that kind of message to your employees? You know, when the fire drill, fire alarms go off and you're evacuating, you smell smoke, don't film things, don't you know, do whatever. Any tips on how to convey that message to people? Because, you know, people are on their phones, you know, (laughs) even in meetings, people are on their phone, right?
2: Sadly, I have it as part of my business continuity templates as well as through training. So, you know, when we're building them, we get to that section. Just a reminder, the company has corporate communications. They have designated who will be speaking to the media. And so, stay away from that. And then, when we train and then test to make sure that that is implemented as well, because you know, same like same for the person who implements business continuity plans, we also need the backup. So that the, the corporate communications person, you know, we don't want them to be on vacation. And now everybody thinks it's their ad hoc role to you know speak to the local news station.
1: Yeah, I I remember telling a a group years ago, um, uh, social media wasn't as big as it is now, you know, but it was, you know, starting to take off. And I remember telling a group saying, you know, don't use social media because if it is a really bad situation, you know, uh, it could be workplace violence or something like that, you could be spreading misinformation and causing panic for you know, the parents uh, or, or the husbands and wives of people that work there, and then all of a sudden you've got another situation on your hand just because you sent a wrong message on social media when you shouldn't have.
2: That's a great point. Plus, in our litigious society, there is the threat of being sued, right? Like if you mm-hmm. you say something it ends up not being as true as you would like it to be at the time because of you don't have all the information at that time, You are, as a human, not as a company. You, as a person, are now open up to litigation.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that back then, kind of because it was so new, litigation really didn't come into play yet. But obviously now, (laughs) it does. (laughs) Unfortunately, Um, I'm Uh I'm curious with with your comments about uh, BIA's and risk assessments. You know, knowing that there's different ways of doing things. I'm curious to know, what are your thoughts on standards and guidelines? Because there's quite a few out there (laughs) nowadays.
2: Yes, and there are different industries with their own. When I was in the electric utility industry, there was NERC and FERC, and the banking industry in the U.S. has has FFIEC, which is uh, spawned off of the, the FDIC, which insures the banks, right? But then mm-hmm. you get into the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. So I very much appreciate the NIST, the FEMA, the ISOs, you know, all those guidelines. But those are our frameworks. They, you cannot use them and paint by, paint by numbers and think that you're going to get the same result in different industries, in different companies, and all that sort of thing. It's still an art. And I go back to that. Those guidelines are a letter of the law, but there's still some spirit of the law that is an art that you have to do what's best for your company because that's what you're worried about. And so there may be times where you go above and beyond in some, but you think, hey, we're pretty good at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I'm curious, um, back to COVID uh, again and uh, um, the, some of the BIA stuff. If you do BIAs a little differently, which is fine, because I have, I know I have, I've changed the way that I've done them, some of them in large, some of them in small, some of them I wouldn't even call a BIA, but, um, you know, on the nature of the organization and the culture, what are your thoughts on all these timings that are required then, you know, RTOs, RPOs, uh, MAOs, and all these other ones that are out there, especially considering with COVID-19, none of that information seemed to come into play.
2: The reason is because it was loss of location. You know, we didn't lose technology because most of the time when we see RPOs, RTOs, it's technology or it was something like nine eleven or you know something that was impactful and it mm-hmm. took something out. With COVID, it was more a uh, now our our workforce has been displaced, and so those didn't come into play as much. I I equate that with like having. Uh, there was one company i was working with and the construction next door hit a hit the uh, the fiber coming into the building until so they were without fiber for a few days that's similar to covid you don't have an rpo rto as much you just now are trying to implement your plans because your your recoveries and those scenarios aren't as important i just would i would encourage a fresh look at those Because they're going to be spawned off of what do we need to be continuous? You know, how long can those be down? And then let's now, through the spirit of RPO and RTO, let's look at those with how do we keep those from being down and what's the minimum time frame that they could be down? Because that's what the the spirit of those are, right?
1: Yeah. Go ahead. You know what I mean? Yeah, go ahead. You can finish your thoughts. No, I was
2: just going to say, you know what I was going to, what I was trying to say is I think it's the spirit of the law type of thing where we're trying to figure out what can be done and for how long before it's painful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And some of it goes back to, um, uh, you know, Y2K. If everything shut down, Mm -hmm. you know, what do I need back up and running? Which I used to chuckle at, really, because part of the, Thing about Y2K was there'd be no power; everything was shut down. Well, then you know your generators are only going to last 12 hours. So, <laughs> you know, what what's all this extra effort for? You know, when at the end of the day, it's still going to be out.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: well, think about it. With uh, you, if you, if people really believe strongly in them, they need to make sure all their vendors and service providers have similar, because that's why you use yep. them. And so, you know, if you're using. One of the popular cloud providers, those have to be incorporated into your contract. If you're mm-hmm. using some type of facilities maintenance company, you need to make sure redundancy in your contract reflects those. And so, once again, I'm not as, you know, those formalized RPOs, RTOs, I'm not as worried about those. I'm more of a broader understanding what has to stay up, and if it goes down, what's maximum amount of time that it can be down and then how do we keep it as such.
1: Well you, you touched on um what I would call too your you know looking at your risks, you know, and mm-hmm. and your dependencies as well, you know, with all the different contracts that you have in place. You know, what happens when they go down, do we have an alternate, you know, and, and um broadening your risk approach beyond, you know, a local fire, a local flood, you know, traffic accident, that kind of thing.
2: Right. I have a question for you, and this is something that popped up to me. With all the people vacating downtowns, does anybody increase their physical security in those locations where all their records, physical records reside, and all that stuff?
1: Well, I the building. I, I know I can answer for the building that I was in. Um, <clears throat> the building basically uh, was shut down to all tenants. So the only people in that building right now are security, um, and all our badges were uh, uh-huh. decommissioned. So we couldn't walk in there if we wanted to. You know, the doors are closed. Wow. But you bring still bring up an interesting point. Now you've got people you don't know wandering throughout the building. Mm-hmm. You know, it getting onto your dumb. floor. Yeah. You know, so that oh, yeah. that's an interesting thought now. <laughs>
2: Well, th- well, from where I was okay. thinking is half the you know in a lot of these large buildings, a half or a third of those tenants are now back in office to some degree. Mm-hmm. But then you have other offices that are empty. I, I, all I've, this is where I was going with fresh assumptions, you know, yeah. and it's changed even like how uh, you know the utilities. Do you need to be as re- you know? Do you want to use the resources for redundancy for your utilities? or whatever for your, you know, generators for your main office if nobody's there.
1: Right. We we only have about three minutes left. Do you want to take two minutes and give some final thoughts on business continuity?
2: Oh, thank you. I First of all, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed the, the conversation. My thoughts, oh, on well. business continuity, my, my thoughts on business continuity are very, uh, are very straightforward. It's, what do you need to be continuous. How do you keep it so, you know, RPOs, RPOs, how long can it be down? And then understanding what is the support of those, because it could be a facility's point of view, it could be technology, it could be a service provider. And lastly, I would ask slash demand from uh, the, the people, the supporting organizations that I need, I would ask for their business continuity plans, because it does cascade theirs to yours.
1: Mm-hmm. Any other final thoughts? Um, maybe with COVID and where things are going. Since we, since I still have a uh, about a, two minutes left. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, all I would say is reassess everything. I, I we just talked about physical security, but if, if, yeah. if your variables are changing, whether it's people or location or technology, ensure that you're taking a fresh look on. Your business continuity plans, because that second event, like we mentioned, the hurricanes or the fires, that's what's really going to be crippling to your organization. And for many organizations, like you're up in Canada, when the weather hits, it may create more problems because people at their house houses have less redundancy than the office has. Uh,
1: yes, uh, being up in Canada and uh, our, our our friends in uh, Northeast. Uh, us and uh, the midwest you know we're all used to having our homes buried in snow so (laughs) we have different challenges oh yeah it's just (laughs) going to be different yeah well we've come to the end of our show jeffrey thank you very much for sharing your expertise and time with us i really appreciate it thank you Alex. and a reminder to everyone out there jeffrey's book uh, business continuity planning: the art of remaining continuous. Check it out. There's some lots of great information in there. And a reminder: if there's something you want us to talk about on the show, please feel free send me a note, and uh, I'll, I'll respond to everybody. And we'll see about getting getting you on the show. Uh, don't forget, I'll be speaking at BCI Global uh, Conference November 5th. Can't remember the time, but I'll be speaking there. And thanks to everyone at Stone Road for promoting today's show. Thanks again for Jeffrey T. For Tillers, uh giving us some new insights. So thanks again, Jeffrey, and to everybody out there. In the meantime, stay prepared, everybody.
0: Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected.